This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Arts original program in partnership with Salt and Light Catholic Radio. We live in a world that is openly rejecting the church and embracing alternative spiritualities. In other words, the devil, who is like a lion, roaring and looking for souls to devour, is influencing the culture, moving it towards the occult. This explains why exorcists worldwide are seeing a rise in cases. So whether it be oppression, obsession, or all-out possession, the human race is in trouble. Joining me to discuss these troubling statistics is the author of two books, Slaying Dragons, and the follow-up, called Slaying Dragons 2, The Rise of the Occult, is Charles Franny. Charles, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. It's so good to have you, man. Um, you know what? I got to thank the people at your publishing company that, that published this book. You guys, I got two of them, actually. I got Slaying the Dragons and Slaying the Dragons 2, The Rise of the Occult. And we're going to talk about both of them in this episode. Let me just start out by saying I honestly think my head has been buried in the sand on this topic. There's an old saying that says God protects children and fools. And I believe I fall into the latter category and I've been protected. I've been protected by being a fool. How did you come to this top? What drove you to write these, these books? Yeah, it would, that's uh, as I mentioned right before we started that God has given me so many stories that, that uh, to share when it comes to this apostolate, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Like I never, I didn't set out to do this because I thought it was, um, you know, on the scene because exorcists exorcisms all this stuff is kind of on the scene now when i discovered it it was because of a spiritual endeavor that i was um embarking on um to make a long story short we can revisit it if you want in 2017 so i published the book in 2019 in 2017 unbeknownst to me i was starting the research but the reason for the starting of the research which i was not actively doing was the acknowledgement of a what i called a spiritual obstacle in my life there's some kind of wall, something blocking me. And the way I understood it was I can no longer, I can, I can progress no further in holiness. And that was my interpretation of like, why, why can't I become holier than I am? Why can't I progress spiritually? What is this thing? It was the supernatural sense that something was blocking me. And along the course of talking to priests, because I was a former seminarian, so I, I love to befriend priests. Uh, they're my, my favorite people. So I know lots of them all over the place. So I started talking to some of the priests I knew, and they were trained in spiritual warfare and how the, all these things worked. And they advised me to do um, Exodus 90, which is a program a lot of people are familiar with, which mm-hmm. involves a lot of fasting. So I embraced a lot of fasting. It was 90 days, and I modified it a little bit because I couldn't quite do everything they wanted. So I replaced it with a lot more fasting and I lost 20 pounds at the end of this 90 day thing. And I did not need to lose weight. I've always fought to keep weight on. So, but I was seeking something and a lot of the the great saints set the example. They do this. They've been very um, intense in their penances and especially fasting because they're seeking a spiritual gift and God does reward us. And he's promised that in the gospel for our fasting. So again, long story short, that was the beginning and they led me through all these other things. And one of the things they introduced me to were the online teachings, videos of exorcists. And Father Ripperker, Father Chad Ripperker, was the first exorcist they told me about. And I sought, sought out him and all of his videos. And I just started essentially binging on these videos mm-hmm. where he was talking about spiritual warfare, how demons operate, the power of grace, all these things. And it was cure, it was essentially preparing the resolution for this spiritual obstacle, which would happen a year later, because I learned about the power of sacramentals. I should not be afraid of demons. 
the power that our Lord has over demons, which and things I never knew. And I had a master's of, in theology, and but I, half of the stuff he was saying, like I've never heard this. Like how do I not know this stuff? So um, by the end, I had a priest come over, one of the priest friends that I had, to bless all these sacramentals in my home: holy water, blessed salt, blessed oil, blessed candles, rosaries, crucifixes, and I knew what the prayers were that he was using from the old Roman ritual. And like I want. In these prayers, God promises certain spiritual effects through the use, through the devout use of sacramentals. And I kept saying, I want this. Like every time I used it, I was a devout, deep prayer. Like, Lord, I want what you've promised. And eventually he he broke through by that. He prepared me for the best confession I've ever made. It just happened kind of randomly. Just I called the priest in it at the school where I was teaching uh, uh, high school theology and I was on a, you know, a break, a planning period. And I called him in just for confession. He's like, sure, you know, this happens. No, no big deal. It's the same, same sins I'm always confessing. But in that confession, just five days after I started using all these sacramentals, which I learned about through my research, God gave me a very, very powerful grace to understand what the devil was doing in my life. And it was the most remarkable thing I've ever experienced. And it transformed because our Lord delivered me essentially of, of this kind of network a spider web of temptations that I was surrounded by, kind of entrapped by for decades. Mm -hmm. He delivered me from that. And then my whole spiritual life changed. And that was the fruit of my research for slaying dragons. And I've seen that similar effect from people who've read slaying dragons and applied what these exorcists are teaching that there's real power through the sacraments, through the sacramentals, through prayer, through the normal Christian life, the normal Christian life is a spiritual warfare even if you don't know it mm -hmm. so like you were saying being being the fool about what the devil's up to is kind of okay if you're being a devout catholic because being a devout catholic will shelter you from what the devil's up to and point you towards christ the whole time which is the goal which is what drives the devil away so the beginning of my research for slaying dragons was a the pursuit of a spiritual renewal and you know praise god he ended up uh, rewarding me essentially with with a book that people really like on the back of, of slaying dragons it talks about father chad rippinger father gabriel amworth someone that i'm not familiar with father jose antonio fortea and fortea yeah and uh, father gary thomas father gary thomas was the priest that the movie the right was actually made about are, are there different styles to different exorcists and what I mean is there is there an artistic nuance to, to their to their styles? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because um, one of the things I've been able to do in the last couple of years since I've been doing this full time is listen in on some conferences that exorcists will give to uh, to priests and people who are being trained, and I pick up some neat insights. But one of the so one of the things behind essentially at the foundation of this is every exorcist should obey the right, the right of exorcism, obey the rules of the ritual. Don't try to be too creative. Don't try to in infuse it with your own, your own sense of things, your own personality. Kind of like with the, with the mass, with the modern mass, there's a, there's a little bit of latitude, a little bit of leeway where the priest can insert his personality, but if he, a little bit, uh, but if he does, it, it almost kind of throws people off. So you really should, you know, obey the ritual, obey the the rubrics, but there is a, there is a little bit where, of course, God uses the personality of the priest, mm -hmm. and the the holiness of the priest matters, and there is the idea of experienced exorcist and uh, inexperienced exorcists, 
So the experienced ones, they understand how it works. And really, the more experienced the exorcist is, the more he steps out of the way and lets Christ do all the work for him through the right, through humble obedience to the right. So I'm trying to remember some details where I've, I've heard that, you know, a little bit of your own personal charism can come in safely so long as it remains submissive to the right, because you don't want to be putting on a show because the devil will then push you on pride. And the devil's trying to break the exorcist. He's trying to break everybody, but especially that moment, he's trying to break the exorcist. So if the exorcist has any pride showing forth in the during the right, the exor- the demon will will push him on that, will twist it, and essentially nullify the power of the uh, right of exorcism. Mm. Why do you think exorcists and exorcism has become so so popular now? I mean, you, you search YouTube, and there, there, there's just everything is about exorcism. You know, you, you, there's not a question you can't get answered. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I'd say it depends on the audience. So for Catholics, so you would have Catholics, you'd have uh, the agnostics, um, the secularized, who are still finding it fascinating. I guess there might be the two big camps. So you have the those who are devout looking at it and those who are completely um, secular and no no faith at all. So that, that camp, the secular, deep down inside, they they know that there's a God. They know there's a spiritual world. It's built inside of us. It's engraved in us. We, we can't deny. You, even an atheist is constantly working to affirm his atheism because his nature is rebelling against it because all of creation cries out that there is a God. So he's he's actively denying constantly uh, reality in order to maintain his point. Whereas Christians can just rest in the truth because we're believing correctly. So for them, I think the, the appeal to the supernatural, the preternatural, the exorcisms, demon things is because I think they want to be convinced that it's true. And the the church, the Christianity has very much declined throughout the world. It's a very sad reality. The statistics verify it. So in the absence of a vibrant church pouring forth all the graces that God has entrusted to her, just you know, covering the nations with this, this great goodness, people are just desperate. They're seeking elsewhere. So they're seeking through Hollywood, which will happily make these movies and make a lot of money off of it. They're searching through the occult, which is eventually, you know, why I wrote my second book, because the occult, the de- the devil will step forward. It's like, hey, I can I can do signs and wonders if that's what you're looking for. I'll do it real fast, and I won't ask for much. I'll just ask you to sin, and you're already doing that, so that'll be easy, easy arrangement. And you don't have to believe in God to believe in the occult, to believe in the devil. That's the way he'll present it. So the secularized, they, I think it's a deep craving um, for proof that there is something even though they're actively denying it. So that's, they're caught in this web of confusion. But for the faithful, I think they're seeing how bad the world has gotten, and they want to understand what's happening. And they know that it's it's evil. It's the power of evil, the power of evil. And how, they also want to understand, like, how bad is it? Like, how deep has evil gotten? How And the exorcists, one of the reasons why we love to listen to them now, I guess there's a difference here, like for Catholics watching exorcism movies versus listening to exorcist talks, because there's a lot of both of that. I don't like to watch exorcist movies, uh, movies about demons, I should say. Even uh, what is the one about uh, that couple, the lay couple that was involved in deliverance ministry? Uh, the, the Conjuring Warrens. is the movie. The, the Warrens. Warrens. Yeah. yeah. When I first started this, a friend of mine said, hey, you got to watch the the Conjuring series now because you're doing this full time. You should know about it. It's, it's a cultural thing. I'm like, all right. So I watched the trailer. I watched the trailer for like 30 seconds and I turned it off. Like, no, I, I, I just I don't want to watch this. For some reason, watching port- movie Hollywood portrayals, even if they're somewhat accurate of the demons of the diabolical, it's disturbing. 
it, it because it's real because i believe i know this stuff is real i don't want to see it i don't want to see it manifested but seeing exorcists talk about it like we want to know what they see because we believe as believers we believe that what, what they're doing is authentic they're actually interacting with the power of christ against these demons liberating souls and we want to know how these demons are getting in and they they see it that's one of the reasons um i think slaying dragons was so appealing is because exorcists as i like to put it see behind the veil they see the reality they know what's happening and they see the power of sacraments and sacramentals and they can tell us hey the St. Benedict Medal, this is this is for real, and I can I'll give you some stories. So that's uh there's a lot to to the questions. Hopefully that that gives us something to to move forward with. Oh sure. Um I've always said that you can't learn about God by studying the devil. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is how, how do we avoid seeing the trying to see the devil behind every door and under every rock? What's what's a good, healthy Catholic way to approach life? So that we're aware of the devil and his, his antics and, 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 and still moving forward, progressing towards God. Yeah, so the, one of the things that I thought was a, a great insight I gained in my research was that all of the work we do in spiritual warfare makes us holy. So all of the work we do, if we want to become holy, is also having the same effect of driving the devil away. So if we are simply pursuing a deep sacramental life, a deep prayer life, uh, a life of virtue and good deeds, all of that will drive the devil away from us. So you don't even, essentially, you don't even have to worry about what the devil's doing. If you're focused on Christ, the devil will run away from you. The devil can't get to you. And if he does, then you're like in the category of Padre Pio, St. John Vianney, and you don't mind if the devil attacks you. Or, you know, St. Therese, St. Teresa of Avila, you'll, you'll utilize um, holy water and whatnot in the name of Jesus, or you just suffer like they did, or you laugh at the devil. So that's one of the things I think most Catholics need to realize is that if you are pursuing holiness, you are doing spiritual warfare, like indirectly, mm -hmm. but it is absolute spiritual warfare. So you don't need to be fixated on the devil. Like most people wonder, one of the things I like to point out is that, you know, I, I'm a very happy person. Like when I'm doing podcasts or I'm you know, out in public anywhere, I'm, I'm smiling all the time. Like that's a good witness. That's a gift from God and always happy. But that's a good witness that the work I'm doing is not oppressive, is not depressing, does not make me sad because most of the time I'm not, almost like 99% of the time, I'm not thinking about the devil. What I'm thinking about instead is what drives him away, staying in a state of grace, praying often, using holy water, using blessed salt, having blessed candles, having sacred images that are blessed properly and using those devoutly, you know, praying liturgy of the hours. All, that's my spiritual warfare. But it also makes us happy and makes us conform to Christ and pulls us closer to heaven and we acquire more merit, more reward in heaven. And I think that this is great, the great system that God set up. Like, the more you love him, the more the devil runs away from you. So we don't even have to, we don't have to worry about the devil. Mm. You talk about sacramentals. There's a number of sacramentals. I was not aware of this until I was <clears throat> watching a couple of other interviews that you were involved in. How many sacramentals are there? There are easily over 140. And can you name them in alphabetical order? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Really? I, I could try. But... Yeah. Really? Like, what are some of the more obscure ones that, that people might not know about? Yeah. So most sacramentals, I would say, are obscure. Like very few of them do we actually know about. And this is, I was guilty of this with a master's in theology, teaching high school theology for seven years. And I did all my research for slaying dragons. And that's when I learned about sacramentals. Before then I knew about holy water, mm -hmm. the rosary. 
that may have been it. Like I had never heard of blessed candles. So some of the big go-tos are, you know, holy water, blessed candles, uh, the scapular, miraculous metal, St. Benedict metal, um, blessed oil, crucifixes, rosaries, and scapular, if I didn't say that. So those, those are some of the big go-tos. But if you go beyond that, there are, so there are blessed items as well as um, some things that retain the blessing and some things that are then consecrated, like you can have your house blessed, and that's essential for spiritual warfare and for just, you know, God assigns angels to guard you, to guard your home. Like that's in the right of the, the blessing. Uh, your car blessed, your farm blessed. If you have a small farm or a large farm, you can have the well blessed. You can have grapevines blessed. You can have your animals blessed, livestock. Um, printing press can be blessed. Everything, here's another neat category. Everything in the church is a sacramental. The church is a sacramental. The candles, the candlesticks, the altar, the altar linens, the chalice, the missal, the uh, vestments of the priest, uh, the stations of the cross, all of these things have been blessed with specific blessings, guaranteeing that God, through the devout use of the faithful, will pour out special gifts, special graces to the people. So if we live, um, so the editor for the Roman ritual, uh, Father Weller, for the traditional Roman ritual said, the sacramentals are sanctified things for the sanctified. Like Christians are sanctified. They live a different kind of existence by God's grace and their cooperation than the rest of the world. So we need sanctified things. So we're blessed. We need things that are blessed to propel us further into the kingdom of God, make us holier. We don't want any obstacles. So the church blesses everything. And so I would say the the more obscure ones might be the fact that the whole church is a sacramental, everything in it. But also that the church wants to bless everything we do with our work, our home, and even food. I mean, there's a lot of edible um, sacramentals, like blessed beer. You can you can get beer blessed, wine blessed, uh, bread, eggs, cheese, all kinds of things. You were speaking my language there for a minute. <laughs> That's right. That's, and one neat thing about blessed beer, uh, in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf blesses um, beer at some point. I can't remember where, but I have it noted somewhere. Well. I'll have to tell my friend, Father Gabriel Burke, that how about how about whiskey? Can we get whiskey blessed? I wonder, um, because it's specifically ale, um, but then there's also a, some latitude in the wording when mm -hmm. it comes to, and other drinks. That might be the blessing of wine. So there's a little bit of leeway in, in some of the blessings. So maybe, maybe well, the whiskey. Well, my friend, Father Gabriel Burke, has promised that we will one day have a glass of whiskey together, and I, and I look forward to that day. Because he's, <laughs> he's in Ireland, so I hope to see him. What's the best way to get blessed items? I mean, now I have a number, I have a set of rosaries that have been to Rome. They've been to, to the, uh, right down in the crypt with, with the, the bones of St. Peter. They've been there. They've been to Magigoria. Um, They are going to the Holy Land. And my friend, Father Larry Burrell, takes my rosaries to these different sites and they've been blessed by the Pope. Your local priest has the same amount of blessing as the Pope, right? Yeah, so there are, um, most blessings are available. Most of the standard go-to blessings are accessible to the local parish priest. There are some, very few, that are reserved for certain bishops, certain religious orders, and the Pope. Mm -hmm. But those are are not the standard ones that we, we seek out. So yeah, your local parish priest, if he just picks up the Roman ritual and says the prayer the church has commissioned, then he can create all of these sacramentals for you, which is just marvelous. And now, because there are a lot of people who are aware of sacramentals, but don't have priests who are knowledgeable or willing to do it, unfortunately, there are some people who are trying to 
arrange ways to ship it to people. Like you get it blessed from your priest will do it and you ship it to these other people. That, that's something I would encourage anyone who can, who can arrange that, who can cause that to happen, mm -hmm. to, to work on. People have reached out to me for the same thing. I'm just not equipped to do it. Um, but yeah, so thankfully we are blessed in the Diocese of Charlotte to have just a ton of priests who are both knowledgeable and willing. Charles, let's go back to an important, I think what an important part of this, of this discussion. Your, your, on your, your subtitle is what exorcists see and what we should know. What exactly are exorcists seeing when they're performing the right? Yeah. And that's, that's a, a great a great story to tell, a great explanation. So the way I like to put it is when the rite of exorcism, as exorcism starts, is with the sign of the cross, which is actually the most prolific sacramental, is the sign of the cross. Second after that is holy water, because every sacramental blessing has at least one, if not two or three or four or five signs of the cross, and every sacramental blessing is usually followed at the end with holy water. So those two are almost always there. So this, the rite of exorcism starts there, but as soon as the rite of exorcism starts, the demon, because of the authority that's being exercised against him, the one thing that's neat is the rite of exorcism is a sacramental. It's not a sacrament. So sacramentals have a lot of power, but the demon has to respond. So as soon as the holy, in a lot of cases, there are different kinds of demons. They react differently. Some try to hide. Some play the game that they're not there. Some can't because they're weaker demons. Some are weaker. Some are stronger. So let's say you have a weak demon. As soon as the holy water hits the person who's been deemed possessed, they've been verified by doctors and the exorcist, so this is a possessed person, the holy water would hit the person and the demon would feel it like some kind of burning oil and would just cringe and cry out like acid had just been poured on them. Mm -hmm. So exorcists see that, like this this, this is holy water, this is available in your church when you come in every Sunday, every, every day for Mass, you dip your hands in the same holy water that when it hits a possessed person, the demon cries out in pain. And then the, the priest stole is also a sacramental, and that's placed on the head of the possessed. And sometimes the possessed person, the demon, will cry out just from that. But along the way, the demon, the exorcist is invoking the name of Jesus, sacred images, um, sacred truths, and also presenting relics. This is a, a tool, a relic is a sacramental, uh, against the demon, sometimes pressing it on or placing it on, I should say, the possessed person. And the demon re is constantly reacting negatively to any sacramental that is that is presented. So this is why exorcists will, will counsel us to use the scapular, use the St. Benedict's medal, because they'll pull these things out and present them to the demon and they'll, they'll cringe, cry out. They'll even invoke the names of certain demons and uh, certain, not certain demons, invoke the names of certain saints and the demon will hate that saint in a particular way and cry out. So, and then also sacraments. So, Exorcists work with the possessed person. The ultimate goal is to counsel the possessed person to go to confession. As they say, confession as a sacrament is much more powerful than exorcism, because confession is a, is a sacrament, exorcism is a sacramental. Confession kicks the devil out of your soul, kicks evil out of your soul, whereas exorcism casts the demon out of your body. That's what the demon is possessing. And then also the Eucharist. So the more devout the, the possessed person is becoming, in the process of these um, exorcisms, because sometimes it takes more than one or a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, the holier they become, the more they cooperate, the more sanctified they become, the less of a hold the demon has on them. And the more through all of this sacramental authority and sacramental power wielded against the demon, the more the exorcist is able to rip the demon out. Um, but they, they see it. So they, they recommend like, Hey, you, you want to hear why holy water is so great? And they'll tell these stories or relics are so great. And 
blessed crucifixes. Like I have a St. Benedict crucifix, um, normal crucifix with a St. Benedict medal in it. And that's what most exorcists use because the blessing on a, on a crucifix is intense. If you read the traditional Roman ritual blessing, it's really, really powerful what God is promising through anyone who looks upon the cross. It's like the bronze serpent in the Old Testament. I think it was the book of Numbers. Mm -hmm. Anyone who looked on it was healed from this wicked serpent that had bit them and they were dying from it. If they just looked up at the at the bronze serpent on the pole, they would be healed. And then the St. Benedict medal, which goes back to the life of St. Benedict himself, who was notorious in a good way, um, had the grace, special grace from God to scare demons away wherever he went where even his name was invoked by his own followers while he was still alive and demons would flee so and and the church made a sacramental with with his medal early on so these are the kind of insights they, they see it at work and then we're like well i, I want to talk to my priest and, and get all these things blessed because i want these things in my life mm -hmm. how much of a beating do you think these demons take when when there's exorcism <clears throat> going on all right. Several exorcists actually use that term, the uh, the beating, that it's a it's a brutal attack that the church is wielding against the demon. And you can see this as a manifestation of the image from the gospel. The gates of hell will not prevail against the ga gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So when the church comes at a demon. It's coming at hell and the church is going to win. And it, but it's going to be violent. The church is going to break down the gates of hell. And our Lord uses that image, too, that. He comes in to ransack the kingdom of heaven, to break in with force and steal everything the devil has acquired uh, and enslaved through his deception. Um, and exorcists will say that it's it's this brutal attack on the demon. And if you read the rite of exorcism, it's it's um, though the priest is supposed to be humble and calm, you know, and submissive to Christ working through him. It does say instruct the priest to speak in a forceful manner against the demon not angry not with hatred not with pride but in a forceful determined uh, strong voice against the demon which i think is quite quite fascinating i don't think i'd ever really want to be an exorcist uh, i wanted to be a priest a long time ago but the more i know about it the more i'm like you know i'm kind of glad i'm a layman because <laughs> uh, uh and especially not an exorcist um because it's it's a work uh it's exhausting it can be exhausting for the priest too because they're under constant attack during the exorcism, outside of the exorcism, it's a personal battle, but that's where the, the, the humility needs to come in because the priest cannot let it be a real personal battle. It has to be the demon against Christ, and the exorcist is just the instrument. If the exorcist takes over and it's now the exorcist casting out the demon, well, it's not going to work, and the exorcist may get in trouble. But there really is a battle. There really is a punishment um, when sometimes when the saints appear, especially Our Lady, you'll hear the demons just cry out in, in agony, like, get her away from me, like, get, let this thing be over. I don't want to be near her because she'll torture them. That's the word she, they use. Mm -hmm. um, but just her presence drives them away, drives them crazy, makes them want to go back to hell rather than stay in the uh, possession. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about our, our Blessed <clears throat> Mother at these uh, exorcisms. Why do you think she's so powerful? What, what is it about her? Yeah, um, I think it was Father Ripperger said she has perfect coercive power over the demons. So she has this, this power that when she shows up, she doesn't have to utter any words. She's not a priest, so she's not there to do the rite of exorcism. It's just her presence, her holiness, the holiness that exudes from her, that apparently the, the demons are more afraid of her than they are of God himself, partly because she brings a humiliation with her, because Satan and the demons are all about pride and they lost. She's all about humility, and she won. 
So when she shows up with the virtue that they are the worst at, that they are completely corrupt in, and by that virtue, she has attained everything that they lost. They just can't stand, they can't stand being won by a, a human, someone made of dirt. You know, they are angel, angelic. They are more perfect than us. How dare Christ assume our nature and not theirs? But also a woman, the woman they corrupted first when Satan went after Eve. So they can't, so it's almost like they run in fear because they don't want to be, um, they don't want to lose to her. And they know if they stick around, they will lose to her. So it's a two thing. Like she's so much more powerful than any of them could even imagine. And she's the worst one that they would want to lose too. So they flee out of pride and they flee out of out of weakness at the same time. And there was one, uh, I can't remember who it was, uh, one of the great doctors of the church, maybe even St. Saint, uh, Bernard, I can't remember. But he said, thinking of the image of the Israelites going through the Red Sea and the Egyptians chasing them. She said, Our Lady, he said, that Our Lady is the, is the Red Sea and the demons are the Egyptian army. And Our Lady is so powerful, just like the sea that just crushed them in one, one movement, destroyed them all. Like she has that kind of power over all the demons. And I'm like, that's a, just an amazing image. It truly um, is. I'd like to actually switch gears now to talk about the rise of the occult. And we spoke about sacramentals. And within the occult, there are so many different crystals, there's tarot cards, there's all kinds of different. Are they like anti uh, sacramentals? Yeah, basically. So, one of the proofs of the truthfulness of the Catholic Church is that the occult, which is the essentially the religion of the devil, which began with Adam and Eve, is a corruption, a counterfeit, and an attack, um, and a parody mockery of Catholicism, not of Protestantism, not of Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism. It's a mockery of Catholicism because they they take everything we have they use. And this is one of the things I talk about in my book from the insights of the former occultists is that one of them said that when he first saw the first mass he went to was the traditional Latin mass. He saw the full ritual, the full beauty. He was like, this is the real thing. He's like, I've been worshiping a counterfeit. I've been going after like some generic virgin, version of religion, which is also, you know, poisonous and false. Whereas the real deal, the real thing that I've always craved is right here in the Catholic Church. I just never knew it. So he, he converted partly as a result of the beauty of the ritual and the truthfulness of the ritual. One, a former occultist on that note said that one of the things that appealed to him after he was converting was how gentle the church is. He had been in the occult for like 40 years, 30 or 40 years, went deep and dark. And some of the rituals in the occult are are violent, are abusive to the person, scar the person, harm the person, cause pain. Because one of the things about the, the faith is how beautiful and gentle and uplifting and natural and helpful all the rituals are. There's none of this this disordered sacrifice that the occult brings. But yeah, in the occult, they have altars, candles, incense. They even have certain kinds of water, um, like moon water and uh, even something called ghost water, which is a fascinating thing. Um, and then symbols. They even have vestments. They use ancient languages. Um, they chant. It's it's a mockery of, of Catholicism, like full-blown, which is quite fascinating to once you realize that. It sounds like it. You know, on the back of, of, of your book, you have a number of questions. I think it's you have five questions. And I think they're so important. I'd, I'd like to ask you those questions as part of our, our conversation. Sure. Uh, where is the occult present today? Yeah, that was, uh, this was a very difficult book to write because of the answers, because of what I was discovering. Mm -hmm. And like, so there's, the occult is, 
It was difficult in one sense, also good. I was glad God gave it to me because people need to know. But the the occult is essentially everywhere, and a lot of us don't even see it. And that blindness is going to let it spread further. It's like the infiltration of a new religion, and no one's identified the tenets of that religion, so no one notices it. No one puts it together. This this is a religion that's spreading. Like that that thing happening over there and there and there, is part of a system that's spreading through the the culture. So it's it's in bookstores, all the and it's even like some of the bookstores, like uh, the, the mainstream ones, like have more occult literature now than they do Christian literature on full display, a big display, and they're selling sage bundles. And as witches, as the former witches have told me, like those are those have been spelled on. Like people have done spells and curses over these sage. It's not just they gathered it out of a garden and wrapped it up and they're selling it now as sage. It's something's happened to it first before it's going to be used. Uh, it's in uh, movies, television, books. It's in you know, Hollywood, not just in the movies, but in the people. It's in politics. Abortion is a big indicator. All of the 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 immoral, the amorality movement or the pagan morality movement that's taking over the country with all the sexual deviancy of all kinds, uh, abortion, pornography, divorce, all these things, um, all the, the trans, all the, the, the transhumanism that we're seeing where people are mutilating themselves and mutilating kids. Mm -hmm. and all of that, all of that is an occultic mentality. Those are occult morals. In the occult, there is no good and evil. There's no such thing as good and evil. And man gets to create himself. Man is a god. Each The goal in all forms of the occult is to become a god. This is one of the things I, I realized that I never knew before I did the research. Even in Wicca, it, they use different language, but also in Satanism, yoga, um, every form of the occult bear, embedded in it is this desire to become your own god. And you determine morality. This is the old temptation to Adam and Eve. So therefore, there is no morality. You decide what's good and evil. So it's also in the in the overarching philosophies of the culture but then you have it just explicit occult you know satanism is on the rise and in public wicca wicca is skyrocketing exorcists are saying they're overwhelmed uh, like monsignor rossetti in dc is very busy very active very public he said that he's overwhelmed by the number of people leaving the occult seeking him out and the exorcists around him for help and these aren't catholics these are like former wiccans and if you just look at the statistics like the number of presbyterians is now like 1.1 million has been going down and the number of Wiccans has been going up and it's close to 2 million. Like they've almost doubled now. They were tied in 2018, I think, at 1.5. So the trend is towards the occult away from Christianity. And it's in the military. Like I, I go through all these different categories. It's in music, uh, even like beer and food. A lot of things are taking occult themes. They're just kind of kind of playing fast and loose with with these dark realities as if they don't matter. Even the drugs, and, the drugs today have uh, curses put on them. Yeah, and then human trafficking, drugs, Santa Muerte is a, like, that's going to be, I'm writing a second volume to follow The Rise of the Occult. There was so much research. Um, my original research, the, the book was 800 pages, and I had to cut it in half. I can't, like, I can't publish that, so I had to <laughs> cut it in half, and then that's what The Rise of the Occult became after I refashioned it. But Santa Muerte is like the drug lord, drug smuggling, human trafficking deity, and the, the this demon is powerful. From the stories I've heard, even the FBI is like following Santa Muerte because of what's happening, what these people are claiming this thing is doing, and it's really creepy. It's explicitly dark. Like I, I'm, I'm still doing more research on Santa Muerte because it's so mind-boggling why this is spreading so far like in Mexico and outside of Mexico. 
how dangerous is it for, for people to just dabble? Yeah, so with the, uh, with the diabolical, there are legal operations at work. And the, so the, the way the supernatural realm works, it's, it's very legalistic. So, and demons know this. God will give them permissions to do certain things. If we sin, if we go into a state of mortal sin, we're vulnerable uh, to diabolical activity. Every form of the occult, every form of dabbling is a mortal sin. So even if you, if you uh, superstitiously, like if you just read the horoscope just to see, like, what does that say? If you put any kind of faith in it, it's now superstition. That's a mortal sin. If you uh, practice uh, Reiki or Wicca or Satanism, any of the explicit occult, these are mortal sins. So then you open yourself up. If you play with the Ouija board once, that's a superstition. It's a mortal sin. Now you're in a state of, you're not in a state of grace. You've lost God's protection. The, with the Ouija board, the demons, some, a lot of occultists are very afraid of the Ouija board, for example, because a demon often responds, often responds. So if you play with the Ouija board, you're not necessarily going to get possessed. This is what exorcists have noted. But there is something like what I like to call a diabolical tag-along. There's this, this, this legal thing, like you've committed a grave sin. To get that sin purged, expunged from your soul, you have to confess it, and you have to renounce it, and you have to do some penance for it. Most people forget about it. This is one of the things exorcists have realized. They, they meet people who have problems, and they're like inquiring, like, what's going on? And eventually, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I issued a curse against my grandmother when I was in middle school. And the, act, the priest is like, oh, you know, I wish you'd told me that like three months ago. Like, that's the problem. We have to address this. That's a mortal sin. You have some kind of tie in with this diabolical event you did. You have to expunge this through, you know, binding prayers, uh, con confession especially, but any kind of deliverance that might have to come next because demons like to ha to tag along. But even further, like the the occult, the, the demons like to respond. So if you dabble once, do a spell, try to make something happen, it might happen. And then it's very addictive. So it's easy. It's like a drug. Like the mm -hmm. comparisons, when I've told this, talked about this, people are like, that sounds just like drug addiction. It's like crack. If you, if you do this spell, the demon responds, the addiction level is like crack or cocaine and then you're like i want to do it again i want to do more and then you are sliding down fast and people nowadays because of the internet and the occult being spread far and wide all the details all the different rituals people are mixing and doing a wiccan some wiccans are dabbling in satanism just because it's easy they're ca casting these summoning demons that wicca would never do uh, just because it's there and they want more power so the power is addictive so that's the danger of dabbling is that you might not dabble you might get hooked real fast uh, with the occult and the devil's gonna gonna cash in he's gonna call in the debt and you're saying that at every level of of the occult demons are involved yeah they they, they can be so um yeah any every level any any movement of the will towards deifying the will towards superstitious rituals and especially if you are summoning invisible powers or energies those are all demons. You're tapping into the diabolical realm and you're moving into a state of mortal sin at the same time. So the demons can, if God permits them, attack, retaliate, attach, or and seek to destroy your life. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's very dangerous. And I have a lot of good stories of, of little dabbling turning into big problems. How does a person get, you know, once they've down that slippery slope and over the edge, how do they escape from, from the occult? The, the ultimate way, <clears throat> like one, one former occultist I spoke to, he said he was in the military. He knew a lot of people who went into um, Norse paganism and other forms of Wicca and Satanism. And he said most of them quit practicing 
but never left the occult. And he was the only one of the people he knew that actually made a break from the occult, renounced it, rejected it, and entered the church to get away from it. He said, that's critical. You have to make a break from the occult. So that's one of the, the keys to getting out of it. You have to, to hate it. You have to hate the sin. Like, like we know, love the sin or hate the sin. You have to hate the sin, renounce it, move away from it. You can't just softly become indifferent to it because the devil's still going to hang around. He's like, okay, that's fine. I'll just stay in the shadows where I like to be. And I'll ruin your life and you won't even know it. Because the same Christopher, the same former cultist, he said he knows one person whose life is destroyed. His, their, her kid's life is destroyed because she never broke from the occult. So for with my book, there were 16 former occultists that I spoke to. All of them became Catholic. Of course, not everybody becomes Catholic when they leave the occult. But And that's the power of the name of Jesus. So Christ is the one who breaks people out of the occult. And some of the stories I heard where Christ was our Lord doing it on his own, like meeting people while they were still in the occult and, and cracking into their mind, even coming into visions, um, speaking through other people, like right to their heart, like in these profound, like immediate conversion moments. And then there was a process after it. But for most people, leaving the occult, you're going to have to get to a priest. You have to get to the church. If you're not baptized, let's say it, it varies. If you're a convert, if, I mean, if you're fallen away, you went into the occult, you got to come back. Confession is the key. So go to confession, destroy everything that you have from the occult, renounce it. And then uh, for a lot of people, that could be it. You might not need deliverance, prayers, or exorcism, but you might. So watch for signs, get educated. So like people who are trying to leave the occult, the, the rise of the occult, slaying dragons would both be very helpful to see the signs. Like some people can get out. Through confession, you got to go through the church and the sacraments. You got to reestablish the life of grace. That's the key. So, so that's the key. Establish the life of grace. If you have major obstacles, those need to be purged by the extraordinary actions of the church. Maybe exorcism, maybe deliverance prayer. That was that was my next question to you. How many people would you think would need a, an exorcism? Yeah, it would depend. So, one thing I noticed in my research was that the diabolical attacks in the occult and while they're leaving and even after they're leaving is proportionate to what they did in the occult. So if they were in the occult for decades, some of those people are still being attacked, even like six, seven years after converting. They're still seeing signs of the devil coming after them and not leaving them alone, though it's a much better than it used to be. But someone who was in it for like two years, um, he started one, Gabriel, he started with the, with the new age and quickly, um, spiraled down. Even though he swore off the Ouija board, he swore off spells and Satanism, he essentially was doing Ouija board stuff and summoning demons. At the end, he was possibly possessed or it was oppression. So there was some kind of diabolical activity that he had to deliver, but it was through his own prayer and God's activity and Our Lady's intercession that he was delivered of some kind of demon. Uh, and that was it. He did not need a, an exorcism. For my research, I believe there were only two people who needed an exorcism of the 16 that I spoke to. Uh, others had various forms of deliverance prayer. Um, two were, I think, like semi-miraculously delivered without the help. Um, so it does it does vary, but you're, uh, you're risking needing the exorcism. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, it depends. When we were talking about exorcisms, you said that the, that the demons will possess the body in, in a possession. And when is it they, they possess the mind or the soul? When do they possess the soul? So the, the demons can't possess the soul. They can infatuate so they can conform you 
So I guess there's one way to look at it where the longer somebody's possessed, some of these people that exorcists have seen don't want, can't tolerate the exorcism because they've conformed, they've, their minds have been conformed so much to the mind of the demon that they can't imagine living without the demon inside of them. So that would be the closest thing to possessing the mind, but that they can't get in that deep to us. They can only possess the body, but they can influence the mind to such an extent that we are brainwashed. We can also, it's another form of um, diabolical activity called subjugation. That's when you consent to their presence and the, the tie, the bond is sometimes unbreakable if the person, because the person's will is addicted to the demon's power and doesn't want the demon to leave. So the person won't submit to the exorcism. So it's a deep, deep, deep corruption of the, of the will. It could still be broken. The devil never has a full grip on, on the soul, on the mind and the will. But sometimes there is this point of no return that uh, a lot of former cultists talked about where you get so deep, that the devil has essentially caused you to despair and you will never let God save you. You won't let it happen. And that's a sin against the Holy Spirit, which our Lord warns about. But in that's one of the dangers of the occult is that demons are master manipulators and they, they know how to destroy us. And if we let them, then they'll, they'll take over. The reason I asked you that question was because it just seems like the occultism is transforming you from who you are at, the, at one point, and it's, it's, it's turning you deeper and deeper into that and allowing possession to be possible. Yeah, and that's one thing that um, one of the former cultists, John, he talked about, the, the occult will change you. And you'll you'll start you start in just dabbling, just doing things that seem safe and sophisticated and you're special and you're all powerful, you're a magician. And then a couple of years later, you are I wish I could remember his quote, but he said you'll end up um oh, sitting on a bucket in a shed next to a pot full of bones, uh, summoning spirits, sitting among like all kinds of vermin. And like, it, like that's where he ended up, like doing doing rituals with uh, bloodletting and stuff. Like it, it, he started out with sophisticated uh, meditation and magic, magical skills, and he wanted to learn about the secrets of the of the heavens. But then he ended up uh, it just like totally debased. And that's what the occult will do. It'll drag because it asks you for more. You want more? The de the demon will say, "Okay, I'll give you more, but you have to do this," which is even more you know, uh, depraved as the, the thing you just did. And it changes you. And that's one of the things they warn about. The one lady, I can't remember what pseudonym I gave her, but she went crazy. So one of the 16, like went insane. and was actually put into a mental, a mental hospital, but it was there that our Lord through a supernatural event reached her. It's a great story. I think her name was Lucy. I should really uh, have a better memory than this, but <laughs> it was a great story of her conversion. And she did need a what she thinks was an exorcism. Like her mind was so broken. She's not sure if it was a major or a minor uh, rite of exorcism. Question that came, just came to mind as you were talking was what about trauma? Like say trauma from sexual abuse or uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Is there any kind of a correlation that these people are more uh, subjected to demonic uh, oppression or yeah, and that, that came up in um, Slaying Dragons, and this is where you can see the continuity between Slaying Dragons and the rise of the occult, because exorcists talked about wounds. Uh, people who've suffered abuse make up a large number of the people who come to them. They're not all possessed. Some of them just need psychological help. Some of them, a lot of them need spiritual help. A few are possessed. But 
so often it's the wounds that make you vulnerable for a variety of reasons to diabolical activity. The wounds don't cause it. So if you're abused, you know, rape or anything like that, it's not uh, going to cause possession, but it, it, it breaks you. It wounds you so deeply, those things, in your mind and perhaps in your trust of God. It makes you see the world as dark and broken. It could, anyway. Mm -hmm. And those things, the devil will then manipulate. He'll step in like, yeah, the world is dark and broken. You know, God doesn't really take care of people. God doesn't really protect you. Remember what happened? He's not going to protect you. He doesn't protect people. So this kind of manipulation can then condition you to seek out the occult. This is one thing people will go outside of the church because they don't trust the church anymore because of whatever happened doesn't even have to be related to any kind of church sin mm -hmm. um but also so in the occult woundedness was one of the big themes this was very eye-opening for me everybody now everybody said this this is a universal statement from active and former occultists everybody in the occult has some kind of wound that is driving them there and driving them inside the occult to seek something out they're seeking revenge they're seeking power they're seeking um healing the, he, the, the occult offers healing constantly. This is this snare ensnares a lot of people. But um, I can't remember what chapter it is, but one former occultist, John, I think it was, he said, the occult is like the island of misfit toys, which is that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> thing, with this island where broken toys are collected. He's like, that's the occult. Everyone there is broken. And then there was one uh, former Satanist. He helped start um, a satanic church in South Africa. And he said I, he was in charge of the applications. And on all the applications, he saw the woundedness, the, the hate, the, the abuse, the damage, the hurt that, that drove them all, all the applic applicants to join the satanic group. Um, they were all wounded. He said it's something we all have in common. And he himself had deep wounds that drove him to Satanism. Wow. So it's, uh, it's something. So, And we have a crisis now. This is why the rise of the occult is appropriate, because we have... Divorce is rampant. Abortion, abortion is rampant. Pornography is rampant. Drug abuse is rampant. All these, these are deep, grave wounds, and most of these people are not faithful Catholics because most people are not faithful Catholics. The, the amount of heresy and apostasy is just so sad. Uh, how many people don't actually believe, don't stay faithful to the church? So they're not going to obtain the healing graces from our Lord because they're cutting themselves off from the flow while they have all these wounds. We're all just like ripe for the picking, basically. Yeah. You know what? My, my good buddy Deacon Dave Imhoff is out there and uh, I'd like to know if he's got any questions. Uh, yeah, Charles, um, you, you're talking about uh, deliverance and, and exorcisms. Uh, and I think deliverance goes with oppression and exorcism with possession. Could you just explain that in a little more detail, please? Sure. Yeah. So when someone's possessed, um, they would be sent for the rite of exorcism. Uh, because that they have the demon inside their body, they, that that's the way to drive the demon out. There are other ways as well, but that's the most effective. But if you aren't possessed, if you're just dealing with um, like a home infestation or a diabolical obsession, which is where the demon basically harasses your mind, bombards your mind, doesn't take over your mind, but in a sense, your mind is fixated on something evil, something dreadful, something disturbing, and you can't be released of it. Or oppression, where the demons are manipulating your life externally to, to kind of ruin your life, mess with you, get you to despair, be frustrated, quit praying, and step away from God. Deliverance prayer can be used for all of those, because deliverance prayer, which people can do themselves, so the binding prayer and invoking the name of Jesus, just devout prayer, the litany of the precious blood, but priests... Every priest, parish priest, can do certain prayers. They don't have to be special prayers, but prayers with a certain 
intention behind them, asking our Lord to drive the demon out by the invocation of saints and angels and the precious blood and the holy name of Jesus, for example, drive the demons out of this person's life. And it, it works because this is the authority of the church. You don't have to be an exorcist to use um, these deliverance prayers. But it's helpful if you're a priest, but you can do it yourself. You can pray like you can pray for someone you think is spiritually troubled, but just ask God to do it. So there's certain times when like in the rite of exorcism, the priest is commanding the demon. Only the priest should do that. Only the exorcist should command the demon to leave. But anyone else can ask God to do anything. You can ask God to free somebody who's oppressed or who's obsessed or who's uh, stuck in a life of sin. And God's the actor then. You are petitioning him. So, that, but if if you and then the authority structure there is important, we have to make sure we respect the role of the exorcist and we respect that we are the laity. We don't have the spiritual authority that he has. Uh, but yeah, so deliverance prayers are, are very helpful. I know one priest at a parish. He prays the um, a deliverance prayer after every mass uh, one day a week over his whole parish, just to make sure if anyone's you know troubled by something suffering from something this helps break the demon's hold a little bit and liberate the person so their life can be can be spiritually easier deacon if if you uh, remember correctly we had spoken with father larry burrell about the uh sacrament of the of the sick as uh something that's possibly to help people that are are oppressed charles what do you do you have any comment about that yeah, I've never um, never heard that before, but there is a, a connection with um, demons can cause illness, and it's not through a natural cause, it's through a diabolical action. They can Demons can mess with our body, so can angels in a good sense, but demons can mess with our, our memories, our, our feelings, our emotions, even our taste if they want. This is rare. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like this. So demons can cause illnesses as well and then it is a spiritual remedy that can that can remove the illnesses and saint therese of Lisieux testified that she believed she had some infirmity that was caused by a demon that was resolved through whatever spiritual means i'm not sure so the um plus the devil wants to come after us ferociously at the end of our life which is when you know last rites you know any of the sick is traditionally given especially given you can receive it at other times of course but that it gives peace to the conscience, gives peace to the suffering soul. So as the as death draws near, they are less tempted by, less less weak to give in to the devil's temptation, which he will wield against them to despair, um, to sin right before the end in whatever way he does this. So it makes perfect sense that the uh, anointing of the sick would bring with it a spiritual kind of repellent against diabolical activity like oppression. That would make sense to me. Deacon Dave, any more questions? Well, I was just going to add to that last conversation. You know, one of the the remedies, uh, if you will, uh, that you talked about is go to confession, which obviously includes forgiveness of sins, and uh, the anointing of the sick is includes forgiveness of sins. In uh, uh, so there may be a tie there as well. Um, Charles, we're getting ready to wrap this up, but I, I, I really want people to know where they can get your book and uh, Slaying the Dragons Press is one of them. But uh, where can people get your book books? Yeah, so they can um, you can buy it directly from me and I'm happy to sign books. Of course, no extra charge for, for that. Happy to do that at slayingdragonspress.com. So that, that, and if you buy directly from me, I get more uh, royalties from that rather than Amazon. 
So everything's on Amazon and um, Slaying Dragons and The Rise of the Occult should both now be pretty much everywhere books are sold. They're now into those channels. Um, Rise of the Occult was published in March, so it took me a little while to get it into all those channels. But slayingdragonspress.com for me and um, uh, Amazon and everywhere else, essentially, um, also. Well, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this in, into our newsletter so that people can, uh, with, with a link to those to those locations where people can, can pick them up. I'm also going to put them in the show notes. Charles, thank you so much for, for joining me along the way. I, I really appreciate it. This is really, really eye-opening for me. I know that I... I I, I kind of I, I feel good that you know being a fool that I and trying to make my way to heaven that uh, that I've been protected, but I, I do need to keep my eyes open. Deacon, would you give us a blessing? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the work uh, that is done here with the podcast along the way with uh, Charles' work of of. You know, educating people about uh, the dangers and and the presence of uh, the demons and and just to pursue holiness. So, uh, and we ask Almighty God, bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, for my guest Charles Franny, my producer Deacon David Imhoff, I'm down the hall, Dave. Always praying that your troubles be less, your blessings be more. Nothing but happiness come through your door. We'll see you next time. Thank you.